Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hearing this piece of music conjures some incredibly vivid images in my mind. Bono doing his kick in front of the wall of monitors. The spray-painted Trabants flying above the stage. Prank phone calls. The analog kaleidoscope of the stage. Octung Baby has a particular resonance for me. The Zuropa show in Dublin on a ZTV tour was my second ever concert. In fact, just a month prior, I had seen Michael Jackson on the Dangerous Tour, both of which just completely blew my mind. I also, as a curious seven-year-old boy, I would go into my father's office and I distinctly remember the slightly chaotic nature of the office at the time because this is the pre-digital age. There were no computers quite yet. So I would go into this office and see this smorgasbord of colour and intrigue, Anton Corbin's photographs strewn all over the office, the smell of the mounting spray as my father and Sean are piecing together this mysterious puzzle into what would become, of course, the 16-image grid layout on the cover sleeve. It's well documented that the creation of Octum Baby was troubled initially. There's a wonderful documentary beautifully capturing this time by Davis Guggenheim called From the Sky Down, which I highly recommend as a companion to this podcast. And and, and just as a person who is curious about process, I, I, I think it's exquisitely put together. Bono himself has said that the Octung Baby record is the sound of four men chopping down the Joshua Tree, and I could not put it better myself. Though I would add that I believe that Steve was also chopping down his own tree to allow this explosion, the sleeve that's so maximalist, it becomes minimalist. We'll start the story 
of Octum Baby's record sleeve back in Dublin, New Year's Eve 1989, in the Point Depot, where Bono utters the now infamous line, which was so cryptic at the time that they were going to go away and dream it all up again. This is U2Y Chapter 7. So were you at that show in Dublin? Yes. And were you personally struck by this now infamous line? Oh yeah, yeah. I think you know, you know, you 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 can't but help but think, you know, okay. I mean, I knew this wasn't a breaking up of the band or anything like that, but I knew they were very conscious of we have to rethink this. We have to think about where music is going, where the excitement in music is going and it wasn't at that stage um necessarily in um a four-piece rock band. Um, and coincidentally, I think they're now coming round to the time, uh, the complete circle when they realise that what they, the energies that they need are coming from a four-piece rock band. So once again, this time is a well-documented period of turmoil, creatively, personally. The band were trying to move as far away from the world that they had created and inhabited in Rattle and Home and Joshua Tree and were pushing towards something new. But as I said before, this evolutionary period for it to occur, essentially the wheels had to come off. How aware were you of the struggle at that time? Uh, I knew that it was going on. I mean, I I hadn't travelled to Berlin to hear anything, but I know there was a great deal of anguish and, and really trying to find the way into these songs and it wasn't happening for a large part of it. Um, when, we, um, when we finally got through that... Um, and they had found the way. That's when the visual aspect of it, if you like, the hard graft was done. Um, we kind of knew a little bit more about what the direction the songs were beginning to take. So we were free. So you, were, you weren't brought in until the plane was circling the runway, so to speak. Yeah, it, the recording was a lot of it was done at that, uh, at that point. That way, when they, and they felt, I think, you know, good with what, what was happening, what was coming out of it, which gave them the freedom for mostly when they're in the studio and as things aren't going as smoothly as they like, the time you're given to uh, work with them on the design and the photography even. So because of the lengthier process in finishing the album and mixing the album, that gave you and Sean time to experiment yeah i remember later sessions um being very very tight on time that anton was only given a day or a day and a half to come up with some imagery you yourself had said previously that you were listening to a lot of electronic body music or ebm at that time front front 242 for example was it exciting to hear you two kind of drift into this electronic sampled new phase of production yeah i mean because you know you had uh, daniel lanois brian eno and um Flood was involved in the engineering and mixing. I do remember uh, having conversations with Flood about various bands that uh, he was working with or he knew of. Um, uh, and I think he had a band called Node as well that, that produced electronic music. Yeah, and it was. It was exciting. And, and it, 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 it was a finding the creative balance whereby you didn't lose what the band was, um, but you went forward with what they could be. Um, so it was a rock band, but there was these elements of, of, of electronics uh, floating around the entire sense of the, of, of the music. Okay, let's talk about Berlin for a moment, the birthplace of the Octone Baby, or perhaps the place of conception 
for the Octon baby, which was followed with a protracted period before delivery, shall we say. And I think the idea of going to Berlin, there's a slightly contradictory element to that in my mind, or a misconception that the fall of the Berlin Wall was obviously a huge celebratory monumental moment, but that it's been said that the fall of the wall led to a certain malaise in the initial period after it came down. And that permeated Berlin for quite some time before the weight of the Soviet Union and the Iron Curtain would lift. And I think that you two found themselves right in the middle of this strange energy. But almost how perfect that symbolism is, these people coming out from under the weight of communism, literally knocking down the wall of oppression. And then these four guys who are chopping down the Joshua tree and extracting themselves from what came before. But yes, I mean, certainly uh, Berlin at that stage where the wall came down, I think people were alive with the possibilities of what could happen, but they were also unsure of how it was going to work out. But yeah, it certainly was something in the air. And I think that, you know, it wasn't the most exciting time to be in Berlin um, for them. Well, let's talk about the reason they were in Berlin. They were there to record in the famous Hansa Studios, which was located right beside the wall. Did you go to Hansa yourself? No, I've never visited there. I, I was very curious about it. And certainly um, when the documentary about Hansa came up. I think that Hansa offers up a strange kind of paradox in the sense that I imagine there was a certain amount of romanticism associated with it. Yeah. Particularly given that Brian Eno had been there with David Bowie for his Berlin trilogy in the 70s, that maybe the band felt like they could tap into some kind of musical spirit or creative spirit. Yes. But also that hall was used by the Nazis for propaganda concerts. And I think that room probably holds many ghosts of war. And it feels like maybe you two themselves were bringing their own ghosts along to a room already full of ghosts. And that's why, to, 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 to linger on this metaphor again, that, that the Octon baby was born in, in darkness. But that darkness ultimately gave the band and you guys as designers something to reflect against and, and create this journey almost and this battle between dark and light and then this dance between dark and light. And when we look at those images that Anton shot in Berlin on that initial shoot, those damp, dark images, the few that are on the cover and the inner sleeve, they do give the then colourful, drier, effervescent photographs from the later shoots something to, to play against and contrast with, creating an energy. Yeah, I think that's the balance that makes it work. Again, when you're talking about uh, a photographer as... Um, so talented as Anton, um, you can't say those pictures are bad in any way. They're actually quite revealing and quite, I mean, and that's in itself is interesting as a contrast against the later images that what came out of that session in Berlin is as important as, as what came out of uh, Morocco. There's elements of the heaviness in the music, but at the same time, it's balanced with, you know, Edge's guitar riffs are, are kind of stratospheric in many ways. You know, there's some really great, like even better than the real thing, songs like that magnificent guitarist that you know bound the whole thing together yeah i guess one would be considered a heavy song even though it's a, an uplifting and inclusive song yeah i mean and then and then the fact that we uh used the david wanovrovich uh, image of the buffaloes um for the cover you know 
Yes, without a doubt, the sleeve for the single, for one, reflects its heaviness. I think Anton himself had said that those early shots from Berlin were too reflective of the seriousness of the shots from the Joshua Tree era. But it's also really nice that you did include some of those shots as it serves to portray the journey of this record from point A to point B. Yeah. Actum Baby as the title seems to have stuck pretty early. Yes. But do you have memories of where the, where that name came from, Actum Baby, and the origins of that? It came, uh, as far as I can remember, going back then, it came from Joe Hurley, their their, their sound engineer. Uh, it was just an expression he used, you know, when they arrived at the studio, here we go again, Actum Baby, you know, and, and it was kind of like a, you know, just a sort of call to arms. And I think it they just, it just filtered through in the same way that Joshua Tree did. Suddenly people began to use it and, and say, oh, well, working let, let, let's go with it in a way i think it's the the one thing that really strongly ties this record to to berlin you know even though it's documented that most of the album came from came from sessions in dublin it began its life in in berlin you know the octung baby was born in berlin while these four guys were off on this mission to to discover something else and find something new and and dream it up all over again yes so it feels very appropriate that the name is so tied into that pursuit and even that cultural experience of just being in Berlin when the wall was coming down. That's why the hand lettering came along. We want something that sort of suited that kind of almost graffiti style of the title. Yes, and that hand lettering and even the, the little icons, Space Baby and the Star in the Car, feel like they were taken from the Berlin Wall, like the piece of that history. Yeah. One of the things that Bono says he likes about the name is that it's attention grabbing. Yes. And you do use an exclamation point, right? Yep, it it does. It just it just because that's the way it's it's spoken, almost as an exclamation, you know. Mm, hang on, just a moment. I'm not seeing any exclamation points on the sleeve. Can we fact check this on on air, real time? Um, actually, no. There's no exclamation mark. Um, I think that's probably a good example of what they call the Mandela effect. I had always I had always assumed there was an exclamation yeah. point. And as you, the designer, had assumed it was an exclamation point. So that's interesting. Well, it was spoken as an exclamation, you know, as a kind of like, a, a, a as I say, a cold arms. Actually. Yeah, that's how you read it naturally. But, and I think it's used, it's used very much in that way in the, the producers as, as a kind of like when they're making the movie that it, they it's a magnificent failure that they're setting out to, to do, you know. And I think Bono also said that the word baby has romantic connotations or childbirth connotations, which, you know, was present for, yeah. for them at that time. And going back into the light and dark balance, he talks about how the name served to disguise the darkness of the record. Yeah. There's also another note that that our early working title for the record was Man. And this is maybe something that never left, you know, Bono's notebook, but it's an obvious reflection of the boy title. I do remember that, that and then mad, man, in a sense, became Adam. And man to, 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 to boy, to Adam, you know. The, the, these were thrown around as possible. This is probably very early on in the process. Uh, and that session in Dublin where the Travant shots were done with painted Travants, I think at that point there was titles being, being discussed. But, I mean, certainly when it came to pop, there was something like, you know, 20, 30 titles being being. being and it's only when something really coalesces in their mind that it becomes the title. They suddenly say, that's it, that's the title, you know. It's no secret that the stars are falling from the sky. It's no secret that our world is in darkness tonight. 
So this is your first time working with a collaborator and someone who you would then go on to work with for quite a long time on the second half of the U2 career. This is, of course, Sean McGrath. So how did Sean first get involved? Yeah, well, Sean had um, come to see me and done an interview with me. And at that stage, uh, we weren't hiring. We didn't need an extra person at that point. He went to work, I think, in Limerick, um, got a job down there, and then rang me one evening and said, look, I can't really, this is not really working out for me. Can I come up and uh, start working with you? I was kind of aware that people would say to me, oh, you know, this is, you two is your baby kind of keep it to you to yourself uh and i didn't really feel that way i've always felt we should be moving forward um and i kind of gave in and said yeah come on up and even though i had um that the concept was developed uh over a period of time with the band with and with myself and sean worked very much in tandem uh with that stage and uh as the band uh, didn't know sean that well at that point um it, the meetings were all scheduled for just for me and the band and did sean come on board before the project had begun or during the project? Yeah, he came, he came on pretty much at the time when we were about to start working. So apart from bringing on this new collaborator and thirsty young designer, did you also identify a need to, to kind of help with the work workload, that there was going to be more requirements for this campaign? I'm sure I did. But equally, Sean coming on board opened the doors in a lot of ways because you'd then have uh, another creative person working on the project that you... I mean, we always work, uh, bounced our ideas off all the people who work in the studio. So we've already spoken about that initial Berlin shoot. And there was a series of counterparts to that first shoot once the the colourful nature of the album started to reveal itself. That involved a shoot in Tenerife, Morocco. And Dublin shoot. And, and Dublin, of course. Yeah. You, you, so you went on the Morocco shoot. Yeah, I mean, I would have to say that... Um, I am internally grateful to the band for including me in those processes because um, I probably at that stage in my life would never have got to go to Morocco. And we stayed in the El Minza Hotel, I think it's called, in in um, in Morocco, in um, Mar- Tangier, Tangier, which is where the Rolling Stones and Brian Jones stayed. Uh, a kind of very old-fashioned hotel, whereas you could have stayed in one of the more contemporary hotels that were nearby but it was a lovely old hotel with a great feel to it and that was our base we we you know we would meet in the morning for breakfast and sit around in in the courtyard and and it did but what was great about it was we all had time because the, uh, i think anton was shooting at certain times of the day to get the best light so there was times when we yeah. could go off and and explore um uh, you were talking uh, before about uh, on the on the joshua tree shoot where i was interested in uh, the kind of music that came out of um electronic body music but um what i what intrigued me as well was in the souk walking around the markets there was these guys with stalls of cassettes um selling um arabic rye music which i found fascinating uh to listen to and one of the nicest things that happened to us was we were invited to go to a nightclub uh, one evening for a meal with a belly dancer and this band playing and this band was very was intriguing because it was a strange combination of um traditional instruments with electronic keyboards mm. um, and a singer up front mm. do, doing this thing. So that really kind of, I think, opened all our minds to the possibilities of, of that kind of musical influence. So you you being there, much in the same way that you being in the desert for Joshua Tree, was was vital in absorbing the, the experience and the atmosphere and the tone to then take those images back and understand them better, as in 
if you if you had just received those images from Anton, you may not have read them the same way or felt them the same way because you had your own experience of them and and the memories associated with them. Absolutely, and 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 you know, again, it gave us the time, uh, Anton and the band and myself, and there was a very tight team. There was a uh, Finton uh, Fitzgerald was the stylist, and uh, Nassim uh, was there as the um, makeup artist. So it was again a very tight team, not like later shoots where there's everybody and there's certainly no record people, record company people involved in the whole thing. Mm. So I mean, I, I, one thing that I found, found fascinating, we went at one point to a seaside town to look at a location and we were sitting, at, or just we randomly stopped at a cafe to get a drink, a cold drink, and we were sitting on a table in the cafe. Within 20 minutes of us sitting at this table, People started turning up with U2 albums. People, you know, a Mercedes, an old battered Mercedes pulled up and three or four guys got out, each with a U2 album that they wanted to get signed, mm-hmm. you know, and that's never happened in, in anywhere else. That- well, I would put that down to the huge success of Joshua Tree, that the ability to be anonymous was fading. Yeah. And if you find yourself in a cafe in the middle of nowhere in Morocco, having your autograph requested, you know, things are different. Yeah, no, it was just so weird to see these people turning up in full Moroccan dress. Did, did you have um, Did you have security? Uh, no. Most of the shoots, security was minimal. I mean, you know, it was kind of like we, w- we would all, um, and Louise and Finton and myself and, and, and Nassim, would kind of look look after everybody, look after the band and Anton. And Anton obviously had an assistant there as well. And we had an interpreter on a lot of the, sh- on a lot of the shoots who was a, an English lady who'd gone to live in, gone to uh, Tangier in the 60s and, and lived there and was married to a local um, representative. And she was very good at being able to um, access locations for us and, and what to do and what not to do. And just going back again to this idea of, of creating some contrast with those early, darker, murkier Berlin shots... It feels like it's like a very clever way to break that seriousness is to not have them just be the four subjects and actually place them out in the wild with other people. And I guess in a weird way, taking them out of their comfort zone where seriousness can can be present and freeing them to a point where there's a there's a less of self-awareness and more of a, of, of joy or escapism. Yeah. You can see some of the shots were taken in there. There's a, a lot more... You know, there's the shots where they're wearing masks and they shot them in the street. And and he basically opened it up by shooting them, walking around the streets with everybody else in masks and everything else. Mm. But there's a kind of a hyper, hyper saturation happening suddenly, which probably ties in a little bit to Anton's own experimentation with color, because up until that point, he was really predominantly a monochromatic black and white photographer. But he himself, I think with Depeche, um, at the same time was experimenting with color film, which seemed like a perfect creative playground for him to to in, kind of indulge in these experiments. There was a certain processing way I remember him talking about where, where you processed, mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact details that you might know a little bit more about it, but they processed mm-hmm. film a certain way and it really heightened the colors in, in printing. Yeah, he would have been using filters in the dark room. Yeah. And I think also, if I remember correctly, there was a certain type of paper he was using back then that isn't available anymore that gave the images a certain feel. Yeah, it, does, it just it does, it does seem like on one hand, you have the band U2 wishing to shake their monochromatic, serious um, feeling. At the same time, the photographer that they work with is also trying to find color and find something a bit more kaleidoscopic and, and, and hyper real. Yeah, and I think that um, ties so, into mm-hmm. 
in, in, in a sense, the design team trying to find something different, knowing that we needed to do something as different with what we what we were getting photography wise music wise as well so that the the we were all moving in a direction that was uh, sympathetic to what we wanted to achieve let's talk about the grid i think it had been said that you all began to realize that no single image is ever going to express the large change that you two had made in the music and their approach to recording it. So the grid system seemed like a natural solution to this and Bono proposes that it was his his idea. And in fact, he says himself that he came, came up with the grid system as a solution and it became associated with our band. Also aware of the fact that Anton Corbin was really pushing heavily for the single image cover. So was it Bono who proposed the grid and pushed it? No, no, I, I think it, I think it certainly it certainly was a conversational piece, um, and he pushed pushed the grid system or a multiple image system, um, and the grid system seemed the most effective way of uh, doing that. More than Anton did. Anton was still very much pushing for a, a single image or maybe a couple of images. No, the grid system was the most uh, strongest way of doing it. Now, I had, as I said to you, I had known about in my head a number of, and in fact, I had a couple of these covers in my collection. There's the Pink Floyd's uh, Nice Pair, the, there's the Who's Face Dances and Godly and Krem's L, and plus the Exile of Main Street. And I had, I had brought representations physical representations of all these to meetings and said look you know this can work it can be ran- more random like the exile of main street or it can be an absolute set grid which i think is probably the strongest way for us to do this he then says that they didn't invent the square squares but he thinks that they owned it for their era which is a really interesting idea given how the grid is so so baked into our technological and social media existence now with like even Instagram or Yeah. Yeah, well I mean the 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 grid system per se is I think is a Swiss Swiss graphic design invention and became very much part of their whole way of, of process of doing things. I mean, it's obviously there are other grid system album covers now since that point. But now we're so used to the grid system, whether it be our our photos app on our phones or... Grid systems, yeah, yeah. I think during this period, CDs were beginning to outsell vinyl records. How much, how much influence did that have over your approach, having always worked in the 12-inch format? Yeah, in our minds, they were still there, but it was selling more. The CD was becoming the hyped area, and it was one we had to concentrate a lot on. But as you can see from the vinyl, the, 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 I think we pushed the limit of the CD booklet as far as we could go at that point. I think there's 36 pages in, in, in the CD booklet. Um, but I think that, you know, overall, as you begin, it, it really is the, is the jigsaw effect of putting those images together and realizing how they, how they best worked. And that, that system was, as I say, uh, more powerful than any other way of doing it. Well, just looking forward for a moment as a, as a point of curiosity, did you ever consider revisiting that grid system in that same format with 16 images for any future releases? Uh, no, I think we can, we felt we'd done it. I think we, we, there's an element of that, uh, obviously of the grid system reintroduced for the, for the pop album cover. Um, because that's again, laid out to a grid system to a large degree on the front cover. Then we have the, the four images. Well, you do of course revisit it in a very obvious way in the Zeropa release on the rear cover. We'll, we'll reserve that talk for the next episode. 
Yes, of course, yes. Now, the other interesting aspect of it was in America at that point, the CDs were being sold in a format called a long box, which was a, a folded up digipack with two plastic strips that held it upright because the CDs were originally marketed in the major stores in these um, plastic cases. So the CD was sat in the top of the case and the bottom was just plastic. So it, it, it dropped into a rack and you're able to flick through them and see the CD. So we tried to uh, get away from that and use that format um, in a way that allowed us to uh, explore that. So I think the long blocks, so I remember rightly, had more images than any other of the versions of the sleeve. Looking at the original vinyl release... With the insert, there's 44 images in total, I think. And that must have been a hell of a process to select those images. And if you could tell me a little bit about that process, were, were you and Sean making those decisions primarily? And was there a lot of material that you were leaving out from this selection? Uh, my recollection is most of those choices were made by uh, myself and Sean. Um, we were um, working, as we say, it wasn't a computerized uh, sleeve. It was so we would um, have a number of prints from Anton that came in, and we were scanning them and or putting them in, in the camera in the dark room, tracing them, and then sort of seeing how they fit. And then when we had a initial selection, we would send off uh, those shots to be color photocopied, uh, and in secrecy, we had to work with a with a a. Uh, a studio that did photocopying but do it very very much in secret we didn't want anything to get out uh, at that point because it was very early in the process so we would then get loads of these little small shots would come back and we'd cut them up and lay them out and sit down together but i don't recall um us showing an awful lot to anybody until we kind of had it worked out in our head that we had the balance right ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So was it primarily a case of feel and texture rather than trying to find context and meaning? Because we have talked before about the idea of enigma and mystery being built into these covers and finding your own stories within them. Uh, very much so. I mean, the ideology of the, of the imagery and what it meant. And, and I think the, one example of that that people have noted would be the snake on the left-hand side of the cover sleeve and a snake representing evil... And then you have a cow on the opposite side, uh, you know, like the cow representing the sacred, like the sacred cow. So these things weren't planned. We we were kind of not unaware that you know the certain images we chosen would have a have a, an effect. But uh, 
to our mind, it was overall, we were trying to get this balance, as I said before, of how many members of the band, as is each member got an equal um, presence on the sleeve as an individual. And we, we did that by occasionally having two people in one shot or having an individual shot or having a, a different aspect of it. And as you say, on the inner sleeve, um, some of the shots move, they're, they're, they're duo shots or they go across two squares. And I think that's quite nice to break that format for the inner sleeve as opposed for the front sleeve. Yeah, that little small bit of playfulness or rule breaking on the inner bag is really nice just to break the the strict feel of the grid. Going back to the images then, so just to underline this this idea that you weren't trying to leave clues or hints. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of, one of the interesting things about that, that cover and in fact any cover is if you can have the viewer um, interpret it in their own way to reflect the music in the way that they see it you've done something interesting if it was very if it's a one-shot cover it quite often and uh, becomes that's it that's the cover that's that's uh, done it's it's its job but it's it, there's no second layer of viewing in it whereas with Actung, because of so many images there is that case of viewing it much more closely and and taking into account everything that's there it should be noted as well that a lot of the shots on the cover are cropped versions of Anton's photographs. So you're obviously finding some aspects of those shots that are intriguing to you guys. Like these these are details within wider shots that Anton has taken. Things like the cow, the head with the horns and the serpent and the piece of the of the of the trabant and the star and edges trousers, they all were blow ups or enlargements of the actual picture. So we were we were framing those pictures to to create this kind of um, sense of balance and sense of colour and a sense of imagery. There's an image, a kind of behind-the-scenes image from what I suspect to be the Doghouse studio in Dublin. Yes, it's in the house where they were recording, yeah. Where you can see the band and Brian Eno and there's scissors and there's pictures and it's almost like an arts and crafts session um, a bit of a cut-up scenario happening with you overseeing it. You would present things, and like everybody else, they would say, well, what if we move this over here or move that over there? And, and you know, what would this image look like? Uh, um, and to in, in a certain sense, we ignored that uh, suggestion as opposed to, a, you know, an actual demand to do things. And I think that the what it was in the end was kind of a pretty much alchemical. In, it became... Uh, iconic for what it for what it is for that balance for that balance of color and black and white and everything else and symbology and i think it really really works and it works well on the on the back sleeve as well Well, seeing bono and eno with the scissors in their hands calls to mind the the cut-up process which bowie famously used for lyrics Uh, it's a william burroughs i think inspired uh, technique where you effectively randomly cut lines out of books or magazines to form new lyrics process. And um, was Bono using cut-up, do, do, do you think, at this time? Um, I think he was certainly aware of the of the William Burroughs technique because uh, David Bowie and everybody used it. Now, I don't know whether he physically did that with the lyrics. I don't think he did, but certainly the concept of cutting things up and moving them around was something that everybody, uh, Eno and, and Bono and the band and ourselves were conscious of sort of doing something that was moving things around and a certain random element to what we were doing. I think in some ways the album sleeve itself is a form of the cut-up technique and also well I think the process of arranging those images and exploring things cut up and and re-cropped and refocused is 
is directly inspired by the way the album was made and constructed because this album is is going through such a heavy process and is exploring cut and paste and sampling technology and um it just seems like it's inherently like a feedback loop of 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 process and technique for me thinking back the it was like a piece of roman mosaic where we had these little bits of color and we wanted to lay them down to create almost an image the image itself creates an image um and a mood and a feeling well i think with the kind of mosaic concept in mind is that you can view this sleeve as a single image as a single face that the 16 images coalesce into this textural piece and obviously the positioning of these images is, is no it's not randomized it's no it's no mistake the balance has been con- has been considered and experimented with and and i think having such a singular visionary photographer in anton it all further coalesces if you had if you'd had 16 different photographers or even two different photographers it just wouldn't have gelled and then of course any of those images in isolation could have hypothetically been a record cover yeah i think vono has actually says that in the book that that's why he thinks it's many ways it's his favorite uh, album cover. and in fact on a later reissue of um the deluxe box set of Acton Baby, we the actual we actually use a sort of magnetic surface, and each of those squares can be moved around so you can create your own version of it. And most people kind of come back and say, "Well, I I did it, but I went back to what the original one was." But uh, the singles that was an idea I had uh, to, and I and I I think it's probably what Bono and 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 uh, Eno are doing to a certain degree was taking this idea. I said, "Well, look, we'll take one image." and cut it into four for the singles, because I think it's also an interesting marketing concept that you really have to have all four singles to create the, the full image. You you kind of kind of experimented with this on Joshua Tree with the four singles, that they were yes. meant, they were really meant to be a, a four-part package. But this goes one step further and literally makes it like a set you need to complete by having all four sleeves. And it's incredibly effective. Both, you know, again, both, both in isolation, there, there are powerful sleeves, and then together you get this kind of reveal. There's one image worth singling out for various reasons, and it is an image that itself brought some controversy in later stages of the album design and one which you and Sean addressed in quite a smart and humorous way, which is the photograph, of course, of Adam in the nude, which, as we discovered earlier on, came from the idea of the early title being maybe Man or Adam, and, of course, the dots kind of joined themselves. Um, it was pretty inoffensive, as far as I would have would have thought, but it began to create a real problem in America. Um, we got a call one one night in the office, uh, late one night, to say that um, the pressing plant or the uh, people working on the folding of the sleeves or whatever uh, weren't happy with um, this image being on the cover. So we either had to uh, replace it very quickly with another image, and that meant a whole round of going through to everybody and saying, well, what do you think of this? So um, I said, well, it's censorship. Let's make it censorship. Um, and uh, I said to Sean, well, let's, let's, let's paint an X and put and drop it on top of the, 
of the picture. Now, funnily enough, I did speak to an American designer uh, who worked in conjunction with Island Records, and he said he did a version of it, which Sean and I weren't aware of, with a shamrock um, used on it um, for for a time. I don't know if that ever got printed or whatever, but he, he, he remembers doing it. So we thought that the X was by far the best way of doing it. So that X was faxed to America because it wasn't done on a computer. It wasn't transmitted that way. And it was done large on a sheet of paper, faxed SS, and then blown down and placed. We gave them a position, position guide on it to make it a de facto censorship image. So the photograph in question is a product of, I guess, the Dublin session. Do you, do you have any memories of that session? Um, it was photographed in a studio uh, in Dublin. Uh, and the images that came out of that shoot also were the Trabant. The Trabant was photographed on the same day uh, in that particular space. Anton was experimenting with a new technique at this time alongside his foray into hyper-vivid colour photography where he was doing effectively what were long exposure light paintings. Yes, he, he all, all these sessions he did in a darkened studio using a torch uh, to backlight the, the whole thing and lighten them in a certain way. And then a second torch, maybe with a red filter or whatever, he did uh, a number of these, uh, these paintings. They were tricky because they were long exposures. So each, you know, it was like old school photography. Each one of these images was probably 10, 15 minutes in the making of. Um, certainly, uh, it seemed like a long time when you're standing there in the studio, uh, and and in the studio when when Adam was there, there was basically uh, Anton, his assistant, and myself and Adam, uh, and I think Bono had sort of suggested that an album title might be Adam, you know, the first man, and, and and this whole thing, and that this is was why this was done in the first place. Um, as a possibility of it, and I think it was it's 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 good. It it worked very very well, and I think it's glad it, I made it to the cover. Uh, I don't know anymore if they've in the reissues they've really gone back to the X or really back to the original picture or whatever. Yeah, I think the reissues include the X, which I kind of like because whilst it's sort of letting censorship win. I think because you responded to it in such an interesting way, it's now a fundamental part of that cover. There's also the shot of Bono with a semi-nude woman behind him that I think I think it kind of taps into there. You know, there is a sexiness to this record, or a sen- again, the, I think the playfulness leads to that sense of sexiness. There was this um, element of. Uh, Nudity being used as a as a sort of strong symbolism of of strength and graphics. There's this really interesting idea in the fact that the band were trying to liberate themselves from the preconceived notions of what they should sound like or look like, and then subsequently what the record sleeves should be, all with a view to confounding expectations. Yeah, yeah. Bono has this quote where he says that he has a deep-seated belief that the spirit of the band was true enough and strong enough and imperishable enough that it could come through a thick prison wall. I really like this because it feels like it it, it resonates within the music. U2 just seems to always sound like U2. And And I think, again, this same sentiment is reflected in the sleeve, where even though Octum Baby is essentially the antithesis to the Joshua Tree, you still can define 
the relationship between the two and the common DNA? Well, I think that um, it's very true to say that um, a lot of bands and, and, you know, their fans as well, and, and they would continually look to the Beatles and the Stones, bands that had uh, created their own visual language, their own iconography, iconography, and again, iconography, I should say. Um, and if something feels wrong for um, yeah. that particular um, release and design, then you know it. I mean, this is one of the reasons why uh, later on, I think when we when we talk about making pop, we designed a whole bunch of sleeves because what it did do was lay it out on a table, they look at it and they suddenly realize this is a great sleeve, but it's not us. Uh, that was something that happened with Unforgettable Fire, as, I, as I've talked about in the past. When when an outsider design person comes in and so says, here's a great sleeve, um, which it is, but it's not, it doesn't look right for them. You can see that you're being inspired by who you two are and their spirit and not, for example, leaning on, say, the factory record style, the Manchester sound and those kind of sleeves and Peter Saville and not leaning on the design trends at the time or or... or, or you know, you're sticking to who you two are. Yeah, yeah. Because essentially the, the Acton baby sleeve is them in multiple images. It is a part of their own story. I, I, would, I would bring in Anton here because I think through the evolution from Joshua to Acton that Anton becomes so fundamentally a part of that band's DNA, visually speaking, that... As long as he's behind the camera, it's always going to be part of that U2 um, DNA, that infrastructure, that that unexplainable energy is coming from hi- from him being kind of like the fifth member. Well, Paul McGuinness is the fifth member of the band, the sixth member of the band. You know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he's yeah. he's you see sometimes in later photo shoots where where Anton isn't taking the photographs that they maybe nice shots and serve their own purpose but they don't feel like you too because because it's not anton i just find that really interesting um well i think that anton um, maintains that role uh with people that he's worked with like metallica and depeche and other bands that he's had a long uh working relationship with uh, I suppose Depeche is the only other one that he's really had this constant art director role in in what they're doing, and I suppose what's interesting in in many ways is that um, maybe today if Anton was involved with the band, he would be the de facto art director as well as the photographer. Um, but because of my relationship with the band going backwards um, to the, to the start of the band, there's a combination of uh, ideas in it. I mean, a lot of people tend to think that Anton had a, had a larger say than he did have in the layouts of the sleeves, um, but he certainly had an opinion and it was consulted on them, but it was largely down to myself or, or myself and Sean to design those sleeves and then show them to people and say, this is what we're, yeah. what we're doing on the whole. But so that combination is 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 again, as you say, part of that DNA that that's that's lasted a long, long time. Well, maybe a better way to to put it is, when you look at Anton's photographs, they feel like they're coming from within the band, within the family, within the energy, within the ecosystem. Whereas you look at some really great shots, for example, later on, uh, Stefan said Noé did did a lot of photography that are, you know, fantastic photographs that feel like they're from outside of the band? Um, 
I think that's probably true. I mean, there are some excellent photographers, they would, uh, but I think there was probably uh, in some minds, and not necessarily in mine, or maybe not necessarily in the band, but uh, certainly uh, in, in, in certain minds, there was the need, the feel that they should, you know, try other people and other uh, ways of working to see how they worked. And, and as you say, there's some excellent photography was produced at different sessions, but uh, it they always kind of were, were done in, in comparison to what Anton had done. I'd like to talk about the idea of maximalism as a form of minimalism. And I think that you could possibly say that the sleeve is is so committed to its maximalism that it is in a way a form of minimalism, that its core sensibility is kind of simple in a way. I would also say that even the fact that once again, the sleeve has no titles on the front cover the band's name is hidden in one of the images. Yeah, Edge was wearing a couple of rings, with, and we, that almost goes back to Boy, <laughs> you know, where we we we. I mean, obviously, when the sleeve was released, uh, in a lot of cases, there's a sticker on the front saying "New U2 Album" and all this kind of thing. But I, I, I would have found it and did find it very hard to place typography on that cover, be it the CD or the vinyl, that would have been sympathetic to to. The placement of it. If you'd put the the hand lettering Acton Baby that we used uh, on, on the very back of the sleeve and, and other places um, onto the front cover, it kind of would have taken away from the from the as you say the the, the minimalism of how it visioned. I think that text and typography can can be a barrier or can kind of imprison images sometimes on a sleeve. And this can work to your advantage, much in the way that the text on the war sleeve, for example, serves a kind of purpose to imprison the image. With the shot of the rings and the U2, I'm guessing that wasn't shot for that purpose that you discovered this. Was it a eureka moment or was it a happy accident? Or um, It was certainly uh, us homing in on this particular it, again, I think it was uh, not. I'm not. I try to remember Anton's original picture, and it was obviously close above the hand, but I don't think it was quite as, as close up as we have it on on the sleeve. But it seemed to say, "Okay, there's your band name. There's your band name. There, find it in the picture, um, explore it." Like because I think that this was just before the where where things began to change for me as a designer and for other people, where the marketing of an album took over the the creative sense of it that um i remember a number of projects i worked on post uh u2 whereby covers were changed because somebody in the market department didn't think it was you know done and and it's also um one of the reasons i liked uh, the idea going back to my inspiration from barney bubbles of the the four singles was was that um they, they, you're creating something that uh, is bigger or more interesting than simply just having the the, the band picture on the cover four times mm. o- over. You know, you have one picture at the bottom of the door, which is is as strong visually, but it doesn't have the band on it. I think that's when marketing began to take over, and and suddenly every press ad, every image was the same image over and over and over again. Speaking of typography most of the text on the sleeve album title track listing takes the form of this very free and loose hand inked text was that sean sean that provided that it it was yeah i i think that um sean um 
with the art school background and coming in new to this whole thing, I certainly wanted him to have the freedom to do the lettering in a way that, that worked. And he did. He came up with, you know, the lettering is, you can see how expressive it is. And, and you can also see that we did, he did several different versions of the Actone Baby title. And in fact, at one point in later on in the, in the tour, uh, Sean was ill and I had to start doing the same kind of handwriting, which was very free and loose. I was able to take the template of what Sean had done and, and do it. And we would look at it and we would say, well, that works great, but maybe that letter is not quite right. Let's drop a letter in. So you're, you're creating it as a, in a freer style as possible, but then manipulating it a little bit to, to get exactly what you want from it. The other free hand-drawn component to the sleeve is, of course, the baby or the space baby as it became. Space baby, yeah. And the series of symbols or icons that came out of this graffiti-style sketch, um, which was the baby, the star, and then the car. What was the idea behind that? It was taken from a a drawing that was done on the wall of William Lane Studios by the artist Charlie Whisker, who worked uh, closely with you 2 on a number, a number of... Uh, projects and I had worked with him on a couple of sleeves as well and Charlie had gone out and, and, and painted this on the wall and the funny thing was literally within a day or two it was completely sprayed over by, by fans who didn't know what it was and, and covering it over with their own. For those that don't know the area we're talking about was a, a wall beside the Windmill Lane recording studios which was very much YouTube's base at that time and the wall became kind of a mecca like a shrine the fans would come to and spray messages yeah. and it was really a very fascinating place i remember it very vividly as a kid walking in that street and just the onslaught of color and crude rude sketches and love letters to the band and that was obviously knocked down many years later just going back to this idea of the baby and the graffiti images, am I right in thinking that you didn't just come across these drawings, that Charlie Whisker was commissioned to do these drawings? Yeah, yeah, he definitely was. Uh, I don't know whether it was at our suggestion or the band's suggestion or Charlie's suggestion. I can't remember who the who the initial person was, but they, they it was kind of like creating this, the, act, the baby of Actung Baby needed to be visualized in some way. And we all felt that Charlie, as, as a painter, was the person to do it. And so whilst the graffiti wall effect does harken back to the Berlin Wall, that its need was to add some more playfulness and tie into the baby yes, to title. to do something with it. And it only became Space Baby when it got to yeah. the to, to, to the Zeropa sleeve, where, yeah. where the, the helmet was painted around the baby's head. And just staying on the icons for a second, I'm again reminded that you two have never really had a working logo and yet they have had so many aspects of the artwork become standalone, identifiable icons, idents in their own way. Yeah, it became a very popular. People often say um, you 2 don't have an iconic logo that they use um, throughout their campaigns. But in fact, the three symbols, as we call them, the three symbol T-shirts did become something that returned to pretty well every album cover for a long time had its version of the three the three symbols cover or three symbols t-shirt design That's, this was the first time it happened was a tour was a tour t-shirt for the Acton Baby tour I had asked you in a slightly tongue-in-cheek way in the last episode if Joshua Tree was your masterpiece but I think I, I would say that you, you kind of have to take Joshua and Acton as, as, as a pair and um, celebrate them as as a great 
diverse body of work and they show your willingness to follow the band and experiment and that the collaborative spirit was as high as ever yeah and that your relationship was as strong as ever and reminding ourselves that this is the point of this podcast two degrees to explore that i think it's just built into the sense that you and the band were both in the process of discovery together and to conclude this chat yeah just that you're i assume that you are very proud of your work here again yeah i mean they're they're obviously uh albums that resonate with the fans a huge amount they're, they're albums that really uh, deserve re-looking back and seeing listen to them again they were they were that combination of photography of of the band's input and our input to make something that is actually still uh, I'm yeah, fresh to my mind and if you picked up Act on Baby today and I think this is a strong uh, graphic cover and I think that's a testament to what we set out to do and that has been U2Y Chapter 7 special thanks to Nadine Bono Edge Adam and Larry and the good folk at Universal Music you can follow Steve on his Instagram at Instagram forward slash Stephen Averill Design, or you can sign up for exclusive updates via his website, stephenaverill.com forward slash U2Y. We'll shortly be releasing a series of very limited prints, so go check that out. Next week, we'll have a shorter episode focusing in on the follow up to Octung Baby, which was the Zeropa record, and we'll also talk a little bit about the tour materials for the Zoo TV tour and the propaganda magazine which was in full flight during that time Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.